Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. Another incredible podcast coming at you today in the realm of testosterone and overall hormone optimization. We went to the top of the totem pole in the world, head of the International Hormone Society, Dr. Thierry Hertog, joining me today to dive into everything hormone optimization. Gents, ladies, this is a deep dive when it comes to testosterone, growth hormone, thyroid, and other hormones that ultimately directly impact the way you look. Dr. Hertog does an incredible job about talking about the physical features that start to change and start to manifest with the diminishing levels of these hormones. And we've all heard of testosterone, growth hormone, and thyroid, and oxytocin. There's other hormones that you may not have heard of that are directly implicated in not only how you look, but how you feel and how you perform. We all want to look, feel, and perform at our best at any age. And understanding how hormones are implicated in this is incredibly powerful as far as a tool for you to start to understand, well, what should I be doing? What should I be considering? And ultimately, what's healthy, what's safe, and what's not? And so we went to the head of the International Hormone Society, Dr. Herdog, to get to the bottom of all of the data. And this man is incredibly up-to-date, incredibly well-versed in all the most recent data, as well as having over 30 years of clinical practice and three generations of familial practice. So Dr. Herdog has literally been in the medical world for uh, a very long time, his entire life. And he's dedicated. And for a man in his 60s, looks absolutely phenomenal, incredible, incredible shape. So he's not only talking the talk, but he's walking the walk. Today's podcast is really a deep dive into best practices for testosterone replacement therapy, how specific hormone deficiencies show up in the body, and price precisely how they affect the aging process. We talk about a framework for the proper use of estrogen blockers and whether or not we should use them at all is a very controversial topic. So listen up. Uh, clarity around human growth hormone and ultimately cancer. So that was some question I have for Dr. Hertog because we hear some rumblings around growth hormone potentially driving cancer proliferation, which he will tell you the answer in this podcast. The opportunity to lower cholesterol without statins uh, and ultimately via hormone therapy and how to balance your hormones for optimal levels. Remember, hormones, gents and ladies, is not about a single hormone in isolation being optimized. It's about balance, learning how to balance all of the different hormones, and ultimately the, the ones that are going to be most important to pay attention to as we age. Uh, Dr. Hertog currently serves as the president of the International Hormone Society, as I've mentioned. He practices medicine that focuses on longevity and reversing of the aging process. So uh, just to keep this uh, zero cost to consumer information flowing to you, Gentlemen, ladies, I would appreciate it if you do get some value to this podcast that you share with at least one person you know and love to continue to grow the message of intelligent muscle building around the world. Ultimately, in intelligent optimization of humans is what we're after here. I want to support you in being the best version of yourself and what is it, whether that's with your energy, with your vocation, with your family, whatever matters to you most. Muscle Intelligence is here to support the physical version of yourself and the mental version of yourself to show up with the highest and best version of you. Enjoy the podcast with Dr. Harry Terry Hertog. Dr. Terry Hertog, the world expert on hormone replacement, ultimately developing a movement for healthy aging and longevity around the world uh, using hormones and nutritional therapies. Incredibly grateful for you joining me. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Ben, for inviting me. I'm, I'm very honored to speak to your public of uh, people age uh, 40 plus and want to perform better. We really want to get out of life the most they can. Yeah. And so we have a lot of men, we have a lot of women listening as well. 
But hormone optimization is, uh, in my experience, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of information being thrown around. And so I thought, who better to bring on than the the head of the World Hormone uh, Society to, to the show to really just kind of sift through it all. You're someone who's been doing this for 37 years, taught at, I think you said, 192 different conferences, and I'm sure more. And I've probably consumed yeah. 100 plus hours of your content over the last 10 years just because like when, when anyone says, who's the best guy in the world when it comes to hormones, it's always your name coming up. So uh, I definitely am excited to kind of dig in. Thank you. It's quite flattering. Uh, just to say you that um, I started being interested in hormone therapy uh, by, by family. Um, so in four generations in our family, since 1892, that we treat with hormones. It started with thyroid therapy and my father, um, who was the third generation, added the adrenal hormones and some of the sex hormones. But when I came, then I added other hormones. And it's all, I can tell you, fascinating. Even for, for me at my age now, I'm, I remain fascinated. Yeah. And that's another thing that, that speaks to the credibility. Because, I mean, for your age, you look just truly incredible. And uh, like I always, I always look for you have this incredible way to, of explaining um, hormone deficiencies. You're like, oh, if, pers if a person's hair is flat, it's testosterone. If their face is doing this, it's it's this. And I was like, gosh, you, it's obviously got such a, a in-depth understanding of that. I love to actually just start there because like some men are sitting at home, you know, because one of the things we experience in the world, as you'll know, is these, these reference ranges on labs tend to be very wavering country to country, even year to year, they seem to change. And some men are like, you know, I feel pretty good. You know, how do we actually start to know uh, when is a good time to start replacing hormones? Well, globally, I would say age 30 uh, would be a good age. Um, uh, women, for example, have at age 30, um, this study showing that they already have a decline of the female hormones. So you don't need to treat these women for uh, a lack of female hormones till when they get menopause. That's much too late. That's like a disaster. You can start earlier. DHEA, for example, it's a hormone of the real glands above the kidneys has a lot of effects, but not as strong as testosterone and others. But that hormone declines also at age 30 by loss of pubic hair and, and armpit hair. And and so Grotamon is a tremendous hormone that has a lot of effects, but it already declines at that age. So I would say at age 30, 35, those are the ages you should start doing it. But even if you come at age 50, well, there's still a lot that can be done. You've not lost so much, but it's very important to start early because you feel better. You have yeah. more edit. And someone who's in really good shape, well, it's, a lot of my audience is like, you know, our life, one of our highest values is, is health and fitness and longevity. And, and, you know, we train every day and we, we do cardiovascular endurance every day. And we're in great, you know, body body composition. Uh, would you still say someone, you know, after 30, they're still going to see a decline? Yes, they will certainly see a decline and it will accelerate because they're doing an, an excessive amount of sports. Mm -hmm. So if they don't supply that, they will get more deficient. Um, Many people are always uh, surprised when they look at me. They say, look, um, we know a lot of people who run a lot. I, I like to run marathons, but they are wrinkled at your age. But they have very good legs, very strong muscles there. But the, all the hormones that are concentrated in the legs and not in the whole body. And the, the topic is that every part of your body is in good health and looks good. And um, the, your audience is probably many men, but you also have women, you said. Um, I believe more women when they say, I feel good than men, because men are very courteous, they're brave, and they don't admit having problems. And if they have problems, they look at positively and they go over it. But then the body um, still shows signs that something's wrong. 
And I think it's better to listen to your own body and respect it and take good care of it. And that's one of the ways is to supply the hormones that are deficient. Yeah, you have an incredible video that I recall, I probably watched a few years ago now, where you just go through all these facial features and be like, oh, if your upper lip is starting to wrinkle, it's this deficiency. And if your eyebrows are starting to, I would love to have you go through some of that stuff. Obviously, my my hairline's a little bit faded or a little bit receded, but um, I'd love to have you talk about what are those kind of um, expressed characteristics that people are starting to experience that, that indicate hormone deficiencies. Yes, it's possible. I have a whole presentation on that. I don't know if it's possible to include it here easily in the, this uh, podcast. But, so I'll link to it in the show notes, but if you just want to give us a couple like highlight examples, you see somebody walk in, you're like, okay, this person's deficient in that. Yes. So if I see even somebody from far away, I can already spot a lot of good information to help to know what I should do. If the person comes in as a bowed back and that is tensed, um, looks prematurely aged for his age, as probably growth among the fishes, so, and if the, the face is very pale, you can see that uh, even on distance. And when the person comes closer, the eyes don't shine, that's a lack of uh, testosterone in men and lack of estrogens in women. And and we know then that these women will be improved with, with the treatment that we would give. So um, it, it is fascinating for me to, I can almost know the degree or, uh, of intensity of um, the lack of hormones that this person has and what will have can be done for correction. Let's give some examples. For example, maybe your hair loss is too much long ago, but usually men get, lose their hair not because they have an excess of testosterone, but because they have a deficiency in testosterone with an excess proportionally of uh, another hormone called dehydrotestosterone, the one that gives you body hair growth, bird growth, etc. And by this, and this is reversible if you come at least at the beginning of the stage or after 10 years, but if it's after 30 years more difficult, then the men don't, don't mind. They, they're used to their uh, lack of uh, hair loss. But we really get hair. I even had um, uh, one of my patients who got the right treatment, but also received a hormone, uh, hormone gel with testosterone and uh, with blockers of the conversion of testosterone, dehydrotestone. And he, he started to put here some of this cream and the hair got back there. Then he put the cream a bit further, the hair got back also. And then he put it there and he got hmm. almost totally his hair back uh, this way. Took took much time, like a year, year and a half, two years. Um, but it was really surprising. If we go down the face, for example, if there are deep wrinkles here on the forehead, that's usually a, a, a decrease in growth hormone. If the and growth is a hormone that uh, builds up your body, gives you much more muscles, less fat, and makes you, I would say, much more intelligent and with mm. a lot of inner peace. It's often the hormone of the big boss, the one who um, doesn't panic when there's a fire. He says, you'll do this, you'll do this. And he has such a, a inner peace that he's able to do that. And when you look at the eyebrows, if there's a thinning of the inner eyebrows, for example, that's typical for a lack of testosterone. And so this is improved with treatment. And if the middle eyebrow is really uh, lacking, that's often a decrease of growth hormone or IGF-1, two main hormones, that's the two most important hormones to rejuvenate your body, but also your mind and your brain. And if the outer third of the eyebrow is missing, that's a lack of thyroid hormone. So when you supply these hormones, it comes back. However, it is very important to note that hormones work in association. So if you give one hormone, 
and not the others, the person is deficient, you might aggravate the deficiency and it, that hormone might not work. Uh, for example, the inner eye, eyebrow, uh, the outer eyebrow only grows when you give thyroid hormones to an adult plus growth He needs a two, hmm. it but it does go grow back. I have much more eyebrows since I took uh, uh, growth on at age 38. So it was a seven years too late for taking it, but anyway, it's better late than never. So, yeah. so it helped. So there's a lot of things that can be done to improve the physical aging, but when you do it outside of the body, on the skin, and, and it, it also happens inside. There are studies that you show, see with Grotemon that Grotemon reverses atherosclerosis. And, and the persons feel better. The biggest effect of hormone therapy is the performance. They can perform better professionally. I'm not uh, afraid of a patient who takes growth he That patient will get more income anyway because they're brighter, they have more resistance, they need to sleep less, they see better their priorities. So actually, um, it's very interesting how the aging can reverse. We cannot do everything now because maybe a lack of knowledge or lack of hormones or other uh, products, but, but we can do a lot. I, I think you can uh, rejuvenate from five to 15 years and in some cases, even 20 years uh, physically. And that's really, really a good thing. Yeah. And so I think some of the concern that I hear, like it sounds like, you know, sub supplemental growth hormone is a great idea. Some of the concerns over here, and I know you refuted this in some of your webinars, and people say, is it not going to accelerate cancer growth? Because I think there was one study at some point, and you talk about that in one of your, some, your uh, webinars. Well, I try to have a review of all the literature on the topic. When you look at studies, when you give Grotemon to adults, it decreases the risk of cancer by about 50% in people with severe Grotemon deficiency. Now, these people with severe Grotemon deficiency have, um, on the average, twice as more risk of getting cancer and four times the risk of dying from cancer. So they are cancer prone because of their severe Grotemon deficiency, like a 10% of what you need, they have that. And that's insufficient. When you supply the, the Grotemon, they actually decrease by 50% those risk of cancer and of cancer mortality. So you almost normalize the situation. Uh, so it's improved. Um, what is true is that in laboratory, you can make cancer cells grow better with Grotemon or IGF-1. However, in the body, it, we have also an immune system. And the Grotemon stimulates the immune system on almost any level. So um, the global balance is positive. Grotemon improves survival of the person also and uh, decreases the cancer risk. I think that's almost a, a sure phenomenon. So the problem we have in um, science and in journalists is that they report always a fraction of what happens and that, that could raise anxiety. Uh, I think it's in the United States that the newspaper that would only give good news couldn't sell at the end. In the beginning, yes, and couldn't sell. So people need to have dramatic things, make them fearful, but that's not how life is. Life is really very reassuring uh, when you give, uh, I would say, an average dose. You don't need to give um, uh, an excessive dose. You give the dose that is personalized to the person. Uh, you rather get disease-free or less risk of disease than more disease. So I think it's very reassuring. So speaking of dose, uh, I'd love to have you, is there a range that you prescribe or is it just, hey, you got to test and, and get them in a specific range? How do you, exactly do you, do you figure that out? 
It's both. I don't li- um, base my final decision on a lab test. A lab test gives you is is a passage of hormones in blood, for example, or in the urines, where but it, it's not the final effect in the cells of, of the hormone. So you need uh, to do lab test and check that passage. And the levels should be at least average of the hormone. Uh, average compared to young adults because the levels decrease with age and the reference ra- ranges uh, change. And then you need to um, have um, uh, do a good physical examination and it's quite complete. We do uh, many patients that come to me and I said, I- I've never had such a physical examination, so much different details seen and, and screened. And we also have a- an extensive questionnaire that gives us all aspects. So we almost know what type of complaints they have, Grotamon deficiency, vasopressin deficiency, melatonin deficiency, testosterone deficiency, thyroid cortisol deficiency, or excess. And, and that's really interesting. So a doctor needs to do a whole assessment and not just focus on lab tests because that's just a part of the person and, and that doesn't always give all the information. I know in within the U.S. anyways, and, and some parts of the world, peptides are becoming very popular now. Have you experimented with peptide, you know, maybe growth hormone precursors and secretagogues to, yeah. uh, to complement these? Even one of the first to experiment with it. And so I give a lot of lectures in those uh, American conferences about it, and it's, it's really worthwhile. For example, folistatin is a hormone you can take quite expensive, uh, but that increases your muscle mass quite a lot. So it's really... Um, something that has to also be given to uh, patients. The problem we have in countries, because I, I work with many countries, is that there's, it's not available in pharmacies in, in most countries. And when it's not available in the pharmacies, doctors get into problems if they prescribe them. So no. it's, it's just a pity and nice. I, I had some investigations uh, against me, but, but without big problems, but I mean, it's 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 hard to get because what you get normally now is mostly on websites where you don't have a, a quality control or pharmaceutical grade control. So that's more difficult for doctor. You cannot prescribe it then, but he can talk about it in his patient and, and give give information on it. But it's really worth. I think um, among the best uh, of those peptides is uh, folistatin for muscle growth for the um, skin tan. Melantan 1 and Melantan 2 for sexuality. It's much more potent than Viagra or testosterone to increase sexuality. And, and so there are several of those that are really worthwhile. And then um, the most important hormone to reverse aging is IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1. Uh, it's made uh, in the liver mostly through stimulation by growth hormone. And that hormone is very difficult to get, so you can get it easier uh, as a long-acting IGF-1 or R3 called this. It's a the same molecule, but it has a, an, an addition of a number of uh, atoms extra, so it stays longer in blood. And, and that one is uh, among those that help the most. Yeah. So have you, speaking of falstatin, have you experienced or, or heard of the recent, there's this recent boom in falstatin gene therapy? I, there's a lot, a lot of very high level people doing it. And I'm a little bit cautious because like there, I, I suspect there's potentially downside to turning these genes on. Because like, I don't I understand what, obviously when I say gene therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Well, let's say there's, you could do that with chemicals that don't belong to the body or you could do it with hormones. When, when you do with hormones, you do unrepress some, some genes and, and repress other genes. So we already have gene therapy with hormone therapy. Mm. Now, where it turns around 
is mostly on gene therapy also that would activate telomerase. Telomerase is sort of uh, enzyme that makes that the chromosomes don't shorten anymore, but lengthen more, and, and at, at least the endings. And that may keep the, the cell young. And there are some controversies that it may cause cancer, but nobody ever found that it could cause cancer in humans. Uh, there's even, um, I think, uh, more than a study on more than 500 um, patients with cancer taking uh, a telomerase activator called TA65. And actually, they said it's an unofficial study, so you have to be careful. It's the firm that paid for it. And, but they said they, there was no increased risk of uh, cancer. It was the patients on the country felt better, had more energy. So again, it's difficult to give a good evaluation of that, but never base your decision on fear. Fear that this and this can happen. Try to see what are the positive effects, what are the negative effects, and then feel what the right decision is. I, I don't believe we should base any medical decision on fear, uh, but mostly a balance of the information. And, and, and then there probably is, for some genes, not so much risk to unrepress them by those gene therapy, but it's still future. It's not something done a lot. Um, there is um, this Paris, for example, in America, who has been injecting um, uh, to, a, I think, a virus vector substance that stimulates the genes of the telomerase to, to lengthen. And uh, I, I think she does well. She's doing well. And I, I think much of the, um, the science and the progress has been obtained because some courageous researchers tried it on themselves. Yeah. As far as growth hormone, I'm coming back to that and dosing. Is that something you suggest every day or five days a week, or like would, have you do it? Have you done it consistently since you were 38, or do you tend to cycle it on and off? No, I, I do it consistently, and I try not to miss a day. And if I miss it two days, I'm sure I get uh, have to sleep two hours more. Hmm. And uh, one day I would say one hour more. So I feel very quickly the difference. It's a treatment you really need to take every day. And that does not damage the gland. On the country, it spares your gland, doesn't have to work so hard anymore, or still like 30% less, but it will keep on much longer throughout the, the years and, and the decades. Um, uh, a study I've shown, for example, with thyroid hormones, uh, when you give thyroid hormones to people who have a thyroid deficiency, you stop the treatment. After three weeks, all the lab tests are similar to what it was before in nine patients on 10. And that is surprising because in 20 years, there's a decline of about 10, 15% of the hormones, and they don't have those declines. So it spares the, the, the gland. Um, there was also a study in, in rats, in male rats, that were very young, and they gave them incredibly high dose of testosterone, overdosing. So were pro probably quite muscular, those rats. And they stopped the treatment at, uh, when they were old, and very surprisingly, they had a testicular volume and a sperma production the same as young adult rats, and they had the same testosterone levels as the young rats. While they had taken treatments that suppressed accurate the secretion of testosterone because it was so high, suppressed the secretion of testosterone testicles. So, so it really spared spares the gland. Uh, I, I don't propose to overdose. I always propose to give the right dose for that person that corrects the deficiency and doesn't put the person in excess. And that's probably even a better treatment for long-term use. Yeah. So just wrapping up growth hormone, it, at nighttime administration or morning, do you have a preference? No, it has to be taken in the evening in, um, let's say, 98% of the patients because it's a hormone that induces sleep 
or lowers the cortisol, and so you sleep better and restore. And you probably also have more receptors at night uh, because in reality, in, in, in a normal person, natural process, most of the growth must secreted the first three hours of the night. So you mimic the nighttime peak. What would happen if you would take it in the morning? Well, it will decrease the cortisol by 30% on average. And so you'll have actually less energy this way. So it's normally not a good method. Now, Rotomone has the particularity, also it stimulates the thyroid function. So some people, that's the 2% people, may need rather tolerate better the Grotamon in the morning because it stimulates their thyroid function and, and at night they would not sleep so well. They have a sort of paradoxical reaction. But that's very tiny minority. So I would really propose to take it when you have the most receptors for Grotamon on the cells, and that's at night, to take down the growth one, you mimic the nature. Makes sense. So I've discovered in myself, I, you wouldn't know this, I was a professional bodybuilder for a long time. And I took growth hormone and not at crazy dosages, high dosages, like six I used a day was probably my peak. But what I found is even if I take growth hormone now, my body doesn't actually convert it into IGF-1. So I'm almost always chronically low in IGF-1. Would this be an instance where you'd suggest IGF-1 supplementation? Yeah, after age 50, most patients do not produce enough IGF-1 when they take Grotamol. That's on average. But you can have people at age 40, at age 35. So uh, most of my patients are on average above age 50 systematically have the two hormones, Grotamol and IGF-1. And we mix it even in the same vial, and it seems to work better when you put them together. I don't know why, but that's what we see. They inject it uh, because it's injectable uh, before bedtime at night, and it works well. And on average, it's 50% of one, 50% of the other. These two hormones have actually different effects. So you you really need that to keep your looks and to feel good. Interesting. Is um, IGF-1 available pharmaceutically in Belgium? Because I don't think it's available in North America in general. You can normally get it in all pharmacies throughout the world for children. Okay. Because okay. that's if they cannot grow with growth one, they grow with IGF-1. And the firm that sells the official IGF-1, the bioidentical, doesn't want to sell it for adults. So we can get it from Belgium, from Germany, etc. They When their stock is, is excessive, then they're ready to, to sell it. So it's a little hard to get um, throughout the world. And But you can get easier the long-acting IGF-1 with synthetic derivative, which seems to work, but the problem, it doesn't have any study on humans. It only has animal studies and, and a small fraction. If you have 500 studies, or no, let's say um, I, I checked the double-blind placebo-controlled studies, so there were about, I think, 200 about or 130 but with IGF-1. When you had, uh, you have none of them with the long-acting IGF-1 on yours. But it does work. I tried it myself, and it does work almost as good. Uh, and the ratio is that the IGF-1, long-acting IGF-1, the R3, one milligram of that is as potent as 10 milligrams of the bi-dental IGF-1. Uh, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe just five times more potent, but anyway, it's more potent, so you need less, and uh, you get that in powder. You have to always add what is called bacteriostatic water, never mix it only with sterile water. It has to be, of course, sterile, but there must be a preservative in it for it to hold in the fridge longer, otherwise you have to eject everything the same day. Yeah, and, the, and these are readily available on like peptide websites, but I always doubt the legitimacy there, especially of a molecule like IGF-1, which I believe, you could tell me if I'm wrong, is, is relatively unstable 
as far as once it's, you know. Well, surprisingly, I find that the long-acting IGF-1 uh, works well hmm. in most patients. You cannot check it in the lab uh, test because it doesn't go on the um, the test. It doesn't, the test cannot detect it. But you do see people get thicker muscles with it, et cetera. So it does work. It does give you power. It's really a hormone that gives you, you have might. Um, but they are in our peptide websites, Benaltan 1 and 2 works well. What doesn't work well so easily is folistatin. So you need to be maybe more careful with folistatin and others on peptide website. But, and then those growth hormone stimulators are interesting. They can work, but does not work so well. And that's a very important hormone for uh, in the COVID. It was the first hormone that showed that you could decrease mortality by three times by giving it. Um, was thymosin alpha-1. That doesn't seem to work in most peptides website, probably because it's a too long molecule and more stable. But it's true, um, you really point to think, when you buy it in the pharmacy, you're almost sure it's stable. You're sure about the stability. And that's not sure on a peptide uh, website. Yeah. One of the most fascinating um, webinars I saw you um, put out recently, I don't know if it was recently, um, was talking about hormonal regulation of cholesterol. And I thought that was very interesting and in how you um, specifically spoke about the benefits of thyroid hormone in cholesterol. Because I, I think there's a lot of people who are just confused about cholesterol, even the negative potential effects of cholesterol, if if there is some. And obviously, people have very elevated cholesterol. So if you wouldn't mind talking about your approach to managing elevated cholesterol with hormones. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, you need to know that um, half of the outer layer of your cells, of all your cells, is cholesterol. So it mustn't be such a bad substance. Mm. And that um, many of your hormones, sex hormones, adrenal hormones, are made of cholesterol. So you need cholesterol. You may not have to low cholesterol. However, cholesterol is a substance to make uh, sex hormones and adrenal hormones. And when that process doesn't happen well anymore, there's uh, the enzymes are getting uh, deficient. Uh, they're not working well. They're too small quantity, you start piling up cholesterol because you have hormone deficiencies. And what is also interesting is these hormone deficiencies will increase further the cholesterol. And on average, when you um, are thyroid deficient, for example, your cholesterol is 20 to 40% higher, can go up to 50% higher. So you really have a big difference. And um, the if you're lacking testosterone, it's about 20% or 15% higher that cholesterol can cut. We like female hormones also. So you really need these hormones to be good. Growth hormone also decreases um, cholesterol. So what we do here in our clinic is we, we give a sort of multiple hormone treatment, which is correcting all the major deficiencies a patient has. And then we see that the cholesterol is down and they don't need statins. Uh, most of them don't need statins anymore. It does take a time like eight months to really uh, stabilize uh, to, to the lowest level possible. But but it, it's relatively quick actually in, in a human lifetime. And it's really interesting to do that. It's a much safer way of reducing the cholesterol. And what is probably dangerous is not the cholesterol uh, itself, because the average level of uh, people in autopsy who had a lot of atherosclerosis, the most severe form of atherosclerosis, aging of the arteries, that um, those people have on the average um, a level of 178 milligrams per deciliter. And that's about the average in young adults or in, in middle-aged adults. So um, if you have a high cholesterol, it doesn't mean you have a lot of atherosclerosis. But if you have a lot of oxidated uh, uh, cholesterol, uh, you 
check that. There's a test to check that. Uh, then it's not so good, and you need to improve that. And you improve that by antioxidant vitamins, but also by the antioxidant hormones. Many of them are antioxidants. Yeah, uh, I'd love to have you speak about that. Is there specific ones to prevent the oxidation of um, cholesterol? Yeah, so um, for example, DHA is um, an antioxidant, um, um, but not that high doses. So you need to keep the doses uh, physiological. Thyroid hormones increase antioxidant enzymes. For example, glutathione peroxidase is uh, um, a protecting enzymes that decreases the free radicals, so increase oxidative stress. And that is also works as an antioxidant. Growth hormone also increases, uh, decreases the free radicals quite a lot by 30 to 40% in uh, children who have severe growth hormone deficiency. So it's really very exciting. Um, and then one of the most antioxidant is estradiol. That also can be antioxidant. What you need, testosterone, not so much, and not so much progesterone, but, but uh, for example, uh, melatonin is greatest antioxidant. It is um, as also something special that you don't have with neutrons. It can go everywhere in the body. It can go in the fat-soluble phase, and it can penetrate the water-soluble phase. So it's water-soluble and fat-soluble. And there it can exist its potent antioxidant effects. And uh, melatonin is very safe. So if you have a disease, you might have to increase quite a lot the dose, and it can help to decrease very strongly stroke or heart attacks and, and things like that. So really, yeah. really... Yeah. That's something you personally take daily and you suggest most people will be taking melatonin? Yeah. I'm taking melatonin. I am taking a dose that is uh, very little because I don't need more, otherwise I sleep less well. I take 0.1 milligram sublingual, but I, I've had with the vaccine of the COVID, I had a stroke. <laughs> stroke. Oh, wow. Good deal stalking, yes. That vaccine is wasn't good for me. And... Um, uh, I, I think I, I, I recovered so well, so easily because I took very high dose of melatonin at that time for four to six months. And and so you can use it at a, in disease, you tolerate much more and it works. Wow. that's I didn't know that. I'm glad, it's glad to hear you're so well recovered. That's incredible. Yes. Well, I, I'm glad. It took two years. I had a heart uh, insufficiency and things like that. But one of the reasons was also that I didn't increase my hormones because what the co the vaccine of the COVID does or having the COVID does, it damages your endocrine glands. And I didn't increase my cortisol that was deficient in, I didn't increase my testosterone that I was all deficient in, and the thyroid hormones. I, I was maybe groggy, I don't know, but basically uh, when I corrected those dose, I was much better. So you really have a lot of people down there who have a post-COVID syndrome or post-vaccine COVID syndrome and they need to get their hormones checked and improved. If I recall correctly, when I was watching your thyroid webinar on cholesterol, you suggested using desiccated thyroid, not T3 or T4. Is that correct? Yes. So desiccated thyroid has much more than in a normal preparation. It has the T4, which normal preparations have, thyroxine, and it has the active hormone, the most active, 10 times more active than T4, three to 10 times more active, T3. And it has T2, T1, T0. T2 has been shown to have cardiovascular effects. So it, you you get more with it and you make it more natural because the thyroid secretes all these hormones. You get also some calcitonin in it. And um, it's attached, all these harm thyroid hormones are attached on a bigger molecule called thyroglobulin. So when you take a 
desiccated thyroid, this powder of thyroid gland of cork generally. You take it, um, you have mostly thyroglobin, and the thyroglobin is a big protein that's difficult to digest, takes time, and so you have a slow release of all those hormones. And then you can have a 24-hour coverage that is good. The classical thyroxine, for example, is not well absorbed. It, the, the, it varies between 37 to 67 absorption on average. So depending on what you eat, on, on how you, when you take it. So you really have to take it on the stomach. That's already better. But it's, it's not, um, it's, it doesn't give as well good results as you can have with a preparation with T4 and T3 or this gets for me, the best already. That's uh, people really are much better with it. Uh, they, they testify. If they took thyroxine before, most of them are better. I did a study that I published and 89 on the 91 patients who were on the thyroxine uh, diagnosed by other doctors. Uh, when they switch over to the T3 and T4 preparation, they were better. All the symptoms decreased. They, they had less complaints. They felt better. Yeah. Have you ever prescribed uh, estrogen or estrogen blockers for men? Yes. Uh, I take myself an estrogen blocker. I take, uh, it's called anastrozole. Our brand name is Arimidex because otherwise I have too much estrogens. Um, the problem is that I like to work with products where you have enough scientific studies. So you're sure also about the bad effects. And with the classical, the natural uh, estrogen blockers like DIM or Indole-6-Carbinol, you don't have much studies, but it's, I, can, I think it's relatively safe. However, it works very efficiently with Arimidex or Anastrozole to decrease. So I take a very small dose and that prevents me from having too much estrogens. Because if you have too much estrogens, what are the consequences? The consequences for a man is when he has too much female hormones, his prostate enlarges with fibrous tissue. So you get prostate hypertrophy, benign prostate hypertrophy. And um, uh, you can have also easier heart problems, myocardial infarction, he can also have a decreased libido because, and, and also decreased erections because it, um, receptors for estrogens are very similar to receptors for testosterone. So it blocks a bit the action of testosterone. You can also get breast formation. So it's not good to have too high uh, levels of estrogen. And that's really the problem in many of the bodybuilders, for example, is that they don't shake enough that and, and they can then get uh, enlargement of the breast or prostate hypertrophy. So, uh, but many, I think, professional um, bodybuilders know probably more about that and, and they are more careful, but you still need to, to know that. Don't take testosterone without checking your female hormone levels. And if estradiol levels are high, you probably need a blocker. Now, it must be said that the number one causes of high estradiol in men is coffee drinking and um, uh, alcohol drinking. One glass of alcohol increases your, in one study, Greek study, increased by on average 60% the estradiol levels. Two cups of coffee, 60% increase also of estradiol mm -hmm. levels. So, and you, body fat's got to be up there too, right? Excessive body fat's got to be up there for increasing yes. estradiol. Also, and then when you have more body fat, the fat tissue has an enzyme to convert testosterone to estradiol. So, you, as a spiral, you aggravate the problem. Yeah. 
Um, when you say high estrogen, you know, when someone has high estrogen, they should be taking the aromatase inhibitor. What? How high? Well, let's say what is the optimal level first. It seems that when you take all the studies together, the optimal level in men of um, estradiol is 24 picograms per ml. And the reference range is, let's say, between 10 and 45. So you're in, in the middle and rather a little bit lower than that. If you have lower levels, there's an increased mortality and there's more osteoporosis. If you have uh, so osteoporosis, loss of calcium in, in the bones. And if you have higher levels, you get this prostate hypertrophy and gynecomastia, the breast formation, etc. So you really better be around the 24, 25 picograms per ml. Have you heard of any research on potential negative effects to the vascular system with aromatase inhibitors, specifically the drug, you know, uh, nasrazole? causing any issues to the to the microcapillary network? I'm not so familiar with that, but if, if it is so, it is probably because it's overdosed. One of the problems, um, I, I, I pay a lot of attention like capillaries because uh, when people don't improve in one place of their body, it's because the capillaries are not open. So I like to open up the capillaries. So if you give too much arimidics, what you do is you block the conversion of estradiol too much. And it is not testosterone, but estradiol that gives the dilatation of the capillaries and the arteries. So testosterone has to convert to estradiol to give vasodilatation. If a man gets red in the face by taking too much testosterone, it's because he has also a lot of conversion of testosterone to estradiol. And if you block that, you block, of course, blood perfusion. And then that's not good for the capillaries. So... You said specifically you, you want to pay attention to the, the the capillary's ability to vasodilate. Yeah. Is there anything else on top of estrogen that you would suggest in that realm? Because I know that's a big concern for guys. One, peat erectile function, but also just cardio, cardiovascular function. There's a lot I, I can say. I'm, um, just I, I'm um, a follower of the doctor of Lenin. Long time ago, the doctor of Lenin, I don't know his name uh, anymore, Simonov or something like this with an S. He saw that people didn't improve with a pathology, with a disease, the heart or whatever. So what he did, he put those people in warm and cold baths, very warm, very cold baths, ice baths. And then he changed them all the time, like every two minutes. And by doing that, he opened all the capillaries and they improved. They, without hormones, without nutrients, without a food change or whatever. Um, that was surprising. And this is, um, I even did that for an Alzheimer patient, so we get we gave him hormones around the eyes and we injected Gorodomon around the eyes and he had uh, warm and cold towels around him two times a day for one minute and a half each towel and uh, and, and with alternation. It was surprising. He, he really improved a lot. He actually um, could read a newspaper again. He could even drive a truck in, in a small truck in the city. Uh, which he wasn't able. And when I came, I couldn't even go to the toilet alone. He couldn't, didn't know his name. He couldn't talk anymore. And that was reversed. And part of it is because we open all the capillaries by warm and cold temperature. So that's one of the ways that work. And many hormones in the, the body do that. Um, I, did a I have a model on cardiovascular disease and hormones. And it shows that almost every hormone can open up the capillaries and can increase the capillary growth. So there will be more capillaries around the organs. So they work very deeply. And the most important one is probably thyroid therapy. But testosterone is also a very uh, potent uh, hormone to open up the capillaries and to develop them, to have more capillaries. 
said you you injected hormones and gave hormones on the eyes. So is there a local benefit to to injecting? You know, if you're, I'm not sure what hormones you're putting around the eyes, but if I were to inject, you know, a growth hormone to a specific area, does, does there seem to be local benefit? Yes, there's a local benefit. Um, you rejuvenate the face. Um, you you can also um, have uh, less wrinkles or uh, tighter skin. And um, actually, this is what I did initially. I did by mesotherapy. Mesotherapy is all small little, little injections around the eyes and on the face, etc for rejuvenation, and I do it around the eyes because the eyesight is improved this way for three weeks to, to nine months. Depends on the patient. If the patient takes a good treatment inside, has good food. And you have, um, so when you inject around the eyes, you really improve the eyesight, whatever it is. Uh, we even tried with, uh, well, maybe not cataract, but certainly other um, types of myopia, presbyopia. Presbyopia is not being able to read easily. You all generally see one to two lines lower. You have some uh, papers that show smaller and smaller prints, and then you can see smaller prints within, within 50 minutes after. That's say. specifically rejecting growth hormone. Well, in the privilege, there's growth hormone, there's IGF-1. That With IGF-1, it holds lo- much longer. And there is also vasodilators. I have um, published a book on reversing physical aging, a textbook. And it's very practical test book. So you have all the formulas and all the doses you should do and how what you can do to improve the eyesight. And it's by doing that, when we do a double session, two times more products in the face, below and above, people get, during six weeks, feel much better and are much more intelligent. And this is why I applied this treatment also to this patient who had um, Alzheimer's. But of course, it's an anecdotal case, so you can never promise it will work on others. But it may show at least in one person that the effects were very, very potent. Yeah. Is there anything you've ever found to reverse coronary calcium? Coronary calcium. calcium. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, um, not not really. Um, you know, you can have more calcium deposits in the coronary arteries. That's the arteries that give blood to the the heart. Uh, when you have a lack of vitamin K, adding vitamin K may be a have positive effects. Um, there's also a theory that changes now. Before it was thought that when you had calcium, it was bad, but it seems now to be considered that it might be a good reaction. It preserves the arteries to have no leaks. And so it might be a sort of protective action. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'm not familiar with um, many treatments that can reverse coronary calcium, but there are several treatments that can reverse coronary atherosclerosis, the aging of the arteries. That's a thickening of the inner wall. And that's Grotemont, for example. There, are, um, I think there are eight studies showing with Grotemont that you reversed uh, this atherosclerosis significantly. There's uh, one or two studies with estrogens, and there is, I, I'm not sure, there might be a testosterone tr- um, study on it, but I'm not 100% sure about that. But So there are studies where we can reverse atherosclerosis, which normally leads to coronary calcium. Fascinating. Um, gosh, so many things. Now, one thing that you, you brought up that I remember you speaking about in one of your webinars that was fascinating is vasopressin. I know you give vasopressin specifically to do with some of the, um, I don't know anything about the hormone, if I'm being honest, but I'm curious uh, what it's used for and what symptom you're, you're treating with that. Yeah. So um, it has, let's say, two major effects. First, not the most important, but it is an important effect. If you take it in the beginning of the day, you'll normally have a better memory throughout the day because it's a memory enhancing hormone. 
However, you cannot have the natural one. The natural works better. I, I knew um, a professor who worked a lot on vasopressin, and uh, that professor, uh, uh, he said, um, the natural vasopressin works even better for the memory than the desmopressin you find in the pharmacy. Now, um, so um, so it enhances your short and long-term memory. Now, uh, and you will capture more of the day. Now, if you, um, it is also the major, and that's its most important effect, the major hormone to keep water in the body. So what you see when people age, starts at age 40, they have little lines on their face, very small lines, and, and the, the skin looks like an orange peel. Like, you know, when you look at an orange peel, it's not very regular. That's a lack of water in the skin. And so when you provide this mopressin, and I do it by sublingual tablets, I, um, or, or I take oral tablets that you need to swallow, but I ask the patients to chew on it and to look, put it on the tongue, and all those little rainbows unfold. You also have, an, as another sign of vasopressin deficiency, sunken eyes in the orbits, so they are deeper. And they get less deep when you have more water in the body, thanks to uh, vasopressin or desmopressin is the one that we are giving the synthetic derivative. Um, another sign is that with age, people have to go to the bathroom much more, and they urinate large volumes. And so they don't know what happens, and, and they think they drink too much water, so they drink less water, but they continue on urinating a lot. And that's a lack of uh, vasopressin. So if you take desmopressin, you arrange it. At one of my patients, who was a very top person in finances, he wrote on his uh, newsletter that I said, "I'm, I, I was so much better with with what I, I'm so much better with Dr. Hertog gives is this desmopressin that really changed my life. Otherwise, I had to go to the bathroom all, every hour, and and that's finished now. And do you think that would be a good um, in, intervention for sleep for people who are waking up constantly throughout the night?" Well, certainly, if those who are wake up to go to the bathroom, so you need not to go to the bathroom just once a day or maximum twice at night. Um, so yes, it really helps them to help better. Some people don't sleep well because they have to go to the bathroom, urinate large volumes. I put the um, focus on large volumes because if you don't have vasopressin deficiency, there's can get infection that makes you go to the toilet often. But then it's very small volume. But when it's large volumes. With not much color, uh, there's generally uh, vasopressin deficiency. Great information, thank you. So moving on to the big one that you know, I think we want to understand at, at at depth is testosterone, and um, I know you've got some incredible insights into um, testosterone replacement, specifically starting with men. And you said you know you're you're a believer or an advocate of people after thirty starting testosterone replacement. Um, is that just true across the board? You assume most people after the age of 30 are going to start to deteriorate? Yes, I think so. And certainly those who do a lot of sports because they consume their testosterone by over or over, over, yeah, over consumption. And, and um, um, some uh, studies show that when you do sports, the testosterone levels goes up, but it's a false picture. Um, it's because they have less water in the blood. They are dehydrated. Mm. And um, if you ask the another value in blood, not only testosterone, but SHBG, that's the protein that transports in blood the testosterone, that protein is high when you're dehydrated. So, and, and then it keeps the testosterone in blood, doesn't go into cells. So it's a false picture. But in general, you really have a decrease of testosterone up to 20 to 50% after doing 
uh, intensive sports and I'm, I like to practice intensive sports. So I correct my testosterone levels. And also if you do sex, if, you, uh, if a patient has sex the night before he does a blood test, the testosterone levels will generally be low. So I ask people not to have any physical activity, including a sex the night before, just to have a, a baseline test of testosterone that is reliable. And so if someone is deficient, actually, if we could talk about ranges, what you know, the what I've noticed, and you've been around this, this game a long time, the range seems to drop. Uh, you know, every five to 10 years, the reference range seems to be getting lower and lower. So what is a reference range first? A reference range is not a health value. If you're within the value in, out, or below, or whatever, uh, that uh, doesn't say if you're healthy or not. A reference range is a, a statistical range. 95% uh, of patients, not of healthy patients that go to the lab, are between those ranges. And 2.5% below, 2.5% above. So if you have a low value, it's probably not so good. But if you have a borderline low value, you're already deficient in general. Many studies have come out now and showed that at that level of testosterone, there's disease. And all those levels of the disease, they usually are in the lower half of the reference range, within the reference range, within the what is also called the normal range. So you're not healthy. The lower you are in that, health, uh, that range, the worse it is. Now, testosterone is a little bit more difficult and growthamone is the same or when the test of IGF-1 is the same, is that these are what are called hormones that build you up. So if you have a big body with a lot of muscles, you have to have a high testosterone within the reference range. If you're a small person with a thin body with not much muscles, a good testosterone level or a good uh, IGF-1 level or growthmone level is in, in maybe in the lower... 30% of the, the, the reference range. So, so it depends on the spirit. So the doctor has to have some competence to, to recognize uh, the, the relationship of the bodybuilder of his patient with what is called anabolic hormones. People with, who are strong and big need more. And um, so that's one of the things. So what is the optimal level? If you have an average size, average bodybuild, the optimal level is on average uh, the level in, in the average of a reference range of young adults. All the older age category reference range are actually um, not, they give their reference ranges of that category, but they are not healthy ranges. Uh, sometimes if you're in that range uh, as an older person, it's already much too low for you. They're, they are not relapsed. So I always check I, and always uh, interpret the results of a patient I have, whatever his age, uh, except young children, that's different. I, I compared to the uh, age category twenty to thirty years of uh, reference range, and that has to be half. But even if it's lower than half, then it's generally not good for an average size person. It's already too long. As far as administration, I believe you you still like transdermal um, creams. Yeah, um, there's the two most used treatment I have is transdermal creams. And once a person gets 65, or on average, it's usually injections, roughly. Uh, but I have um, younger um, patients at age 40 that already are on injections because it's the only way where they feel good and they do good on, on it. So it's still arranged per person. But I like the transdermals a lot. However, there are not many good transdermals. If you buy in the pharmacy, it's 1% or 2%. It's much too low. It's for uh, tubers. 
young puberty, not yeah. for uh, real men, I would say. So for real men, you need a 10% um, concentration. You need a compounding pharmacy does it. And uh, we use compounding pharmacies in Germany also because in Belgium, we're the only country in the world where there's crazy law that forbid to get the testosterone more than 2.5%. Yeah. Get it from abroad. That's completely legal. But the pharmacy here, pharmacy here may not sell a higher dose once. And so daily administration, um, you know, applied on you know on the testicles or applied where specifically? Yeah. Well, the best place, the more convenient and where it works well is to apply on the face. The face has mm. when you're shy, you get red. You have more blood vessels, but you may not turtle the bird because otherwise it converts too much to dehydrotestosterone and get scalding arrest. So you applied here in several layers, here on the sides of the neck, above the collarbone. Uh, hopefully there's no body here, and if there's too much, you can put it here. But I, I put several layers per day on myself, uh, three, three times, three or four layers different, because each time I put a new layer, it will penetrate more. And you may never put a thick layer when you put a transdermal. Otherwise, you will keep some whitish cream on it, and it will not penetrate. It's better very thin layer and then to apply it very well in. And when it's applied, you do another layer and so on. And you do it in the morning, mostly. You can do it twice a day if you have to take high amounts. But most important is the morning. You always take a hormone before you need to um, to use its effects, its beneficial effects. The stuff gives you energy, gives you um, masculinity. It, it, it makes you um, be determined. Um, and then, so, so it's better um, to give it in the morning. It also helps you to do better physical activities, et cetera. And for men who are doing injections, is that um, daily, once a week, three times a week? How do you like to administer that? Well, that depends. Most of the patients, they don't want to do it often. And then they have a high level during five days and then it drops later on and then sometimes not enough. So most patients get one injection of testosterone initate or cypionate. Those are the, the best ones. 250 milligrams on average every 10 or 14 days. If you do a lot of sports, 10 days. Sometimes it's even per week. Um, some um, men are more dedicated. They want to have stable levels. And then they take it every two days, a small dose, a false fraction, and they spread the fraction overall. And that's maybe even a better treatment. But however, most patients, uh, most men feel already so good with the one injection every 10 to 14 days that they are not uh, wanting more. I sometimes give in people who are not compliant, who are, don't want to bother, uh, an injection of testosterone in the canoate, 1,000 milligrams. Once every two months, not every three months. That's never good. What the pharmaceutical company proposes every three months is insufficient. They have done one month where they're deficient. It, it lasts in most patients only um, two months maximum. What's the half-life on, on decanoid? Is it, is it that long? Is it 30 days plus? Um, I I think it's it's less, but but it's still uh, well. They claim that it it's stable all over, so they would claim a half life of two months or three months. But uh, in in reality, uh, probably because I have active patients, so they consume more. It doesn't work um, more than after uh, six weeks to eight weeks. You have to give a new injection. Yeah, are you seeing bigger estrogen side effects like that too? I would suspect with with both the weekly and the monthly or bi-monthly administrations. 
you're getting better or bigger at uh, estrogen blo- um, rebounds? It depends on the fat tissue of the patient generally. And if he drinks coffee or alcohol or he puts, um, you know, those uh, Italian underwear that is so tight, smashes the testicles against the body, and then there's no good, good blood perfusion. When the testicles are too tight in the trousers or in the underwear, um, they produce more estrogens, less testosterone. So it depends on other factors also. Um, but it's true that there's a slightly higher likelihood to get more estrogens with those um, testosterone injections, also even testosterone and J3. You need to be careful for that. Yeah, with this this recent explosion of longevity medicine, longevity focus, do you have any concern or or, or comments around balancing uh, anabolism? Obviously, with, with testosterone and growth and growth hormone and, and um, IGF one, we're pushing anabolic pathways. Do you have any consideration around taking things like rapamycin or anything that's ultimately going to drive AMPK pathways, or is it just hey, you just think these hormones are ubiquitously great for everyone? So the rapamycin is um, an um, product that 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 um, makes your blood more fluid, and that actually blocks um, mTOR pathways. It mimics what you have with intermittent fasting. If you uh, eat twice a day uh, close to each other. You lose weight easier, you feel healthier, and that's intermittent fast. So it makes mimics without doing the effort. When you give the doses to certain mice species or rat species, they live longer with it, but they are in worse health. They're not so good. But of course, the doses that they take are relatively high, and the doses that are proposed to prevent blood clotting in humans are um, between 20 five and, and 20 milligrams a day, and sometimes even more, 40 milligrams. People who take rapamycin and say have good effects, I have some patients who are taking it uh, too because they, they, are, they know other doctors. They take doses up to six milligrams a week, and they slowly increase. So probably by this very cautious process, it's okay, but not if you go on the high doses that you give to patients who have um, blood clot problems. And and so I think it's it's um, in small doses might be okay in the might be too much imbalance. I don't know what it fix it as on hormones. Um, what I'm careful is is that everybody gets um, adequate levels of um, hormones in balance. And when I give too much of one hormone, some other hormones are in balance. So it's very important that we keep good balance of hormones. And so people just take one hormone are often imbalancing their system, just thyroid hormones, just testosterone. They, they have um, advantages, they have benefits, but they also have side effects of less good balances. You don't uh, give a lot of testosterone, for example, let's say uh, you were a professional bodybuilder. And many of those professional bodybuilders have taken enormous doses of testosterone or anabolic steroids, derivatives of testosterone. And in certain sense, when you give a small dose, it's okay because it stimulates your thyroid function by con- stimulating the conversion of pro-hormone T4 directly to active hormone T3. But when you give too much, you get enormous muscle loss and, and organ uh, excess. And then the thyroid hormones cannot be more produced. Uh, they are activated, but they cannot be more produced. At a certain time, there's a shift 
and then there's less testosterone, there's a thyroid hormone in all those muscles. There's enough testosterone or anabolic not, And then you see a lot of those um, um, uh, very uh, enormous uh, body build of, of, uh, with muscles, they get slower and they, they seem to be slow thinking. That can be due to low thyroid function. So you always need to balance. If you have a bigger body with more muscles, you need to take more growth load, more, more um, uh, thyroid hormones, probably more cortisol, more THCA, etc. So you, you really emit more melatonin because the body's just bigger. Mm. And genetically, the body's not made to make so many hormones. So. Um, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I think that's why bodybuilders are, can become chemists. You just figure out, like, I need to take more of everything. Yes. I think um, I would say if you really want to be a good bodybuilder and that, you know, you need to be informed on all the important hormones so that your your body is, is better. It's not just partly better and partly suffering more. Yeah. When it comes to, um, you know, optimization of health and longevity and physical appearance, is there any hormones that we've missed that you like, think we should cover that are that are vital? Well, um, one of the most important hormones is, is so important that if you don't have it, uh, both of us are dead tomorrow, is cortisol. Listen. Cortisol, many people think cortisol is bad. It, it's, it's used for severe disease, uh, but, but it's, it's bad for a normal person. I take cortisol since the age of 24 years, and I have energy with it. I have um, uh, stamina. I can resist to stress. Um, and, and I inflame less, otherwise I would be more inflamed and I'm um, more positive. Uh, so cortisol is um, the main hormone when a person has adrenal deficiency, adrenal burnout, the main hormone is missing. Any person who has a burnout, severe, and is, keeps on, is because the cortisol is too low. That's the main hormone deficiency. So you need to have cortisol for energy and that's also a hormone that is less decreased with time. Um, and uh, at least what the, the cortisol that goes in the cells is uh, less. And when you give this hormone, one of the major, um, I would say, bad consequences that happens, my physician give it, give it alone. But cortisol is a hormone for the real glass that makes 44 other hormones. And so if you give cortisol, you need to give the major other uh, adrenal um hormones, uh, such as um, DHEA. DHEA is the protector. If you take cortisol, you always have to take an equivalent dose of DHEA. If you take, uh, and then there's also aldosterone that is uh, very important for blood pressure. So people with low blood pressure need also to take aldosterone or it's synthetic derivative called fritocortisone. That's very important hormone. And and, uh, it, it makes a whole difference. It can give a person his or her life back. If you have a low cortisol, you suffer all the time. Everything's misery and you see everything negative. You're also paranoid. You think that people will like you and then you will hit back and sing. And you accuse them of, of especially the people you love the most, you accuse them more. So um, I, I really propose that this is also very major treatment. And there are other treatments. You have pignolone, for example, it's a memory hormone, but people who take it have to take it in the morning or their memory is not improved again. If you want to have a better short-term memory, you take pregnenolone in the morning because that also decreases in production quite quickly uh, in, with aging and uh, it works well if you take it in the morning. Um, there's so many other hormones um, um, that uh, can be used. Um, I also work a lot with nutrients, 
for example, many people take sleeping pills, but do you know that there are at least, I think, three studies that showed that when you take benzodiazepines 100 days or more a year, you have two to five times more likelihood of dying. That's a mm. lack of um, lifespan of four to 20 years. You have more cancer, 30% more cancer on the average. You have more um, uh, Alzheimer's, more risk of Alzheimer's disease. So why not take things that work better? So how do you um, improve sleep? In most people, how do we do it? We um, also, um, we give small dose of melatonin in the, uh, to fall asleep. And at the same time, we give a precursor of melatonin called 5-HTP, 5-hydroxytryptophan, or uh, we give um, uh, tryptophan, and they convert four hours later into melatonin. So you can sleep the four last hours of the sleep also. So if you have sleep problems in, in the first four hours and uh, problems to fall asleep, you take melatonin and small doses sublingual that works better than oral. And then you um, can take a precursor at the same uh, bedtime that four hours later will work as sleeping pill. Also, we add GABA, for example. That's uh, the main neurotransmitter that calms you down. But you have to be careful. Some people get depressed when they get it after a few days. If I take it more than three days, the fourth day, I will be depressed. Hmm. So, um, uh, but, it, but it calms you down and relaxes you. You sleep throughout the night uh, quite well with GABA. So you can take it occasionally. When I do a jet lag, when I have a jet lag, I, I generally don't suffer from the jet lag. I sleep at least six good hours, but it's because I had um, uh, GABA and I take certainly um, melatonin and a precursor in, in high, uh, to melatonin in higher amounts then. Right, and then maybe your cortisol in the morning to kick you up? Yes, yes, also. What dose is that, if you don't mind? The dose I'm actually taking um, is a little higher than average dose for a man. It's 35 milligrams. During many years, I took 30 milligrams, um, but lower doses, I, I don't do well with it. And I don't get swollen face with it and things like that because it's the dose I need. Um, you need to know that only uh, about, I think it's 47% of the the cortisol that you take by mouth, the, the natural cortisol, I'm not talking of synthetic derivative here, the natural cortisol, 40% is absorbed, not more. 47 or 43, I'm, I'm not sure anymore about, but very small fraction accuracy is not even the 50%. And so when I take 35 milligrams, what I'm really taking is something like 15 to 70 milligrams. And the average production per day in a man is about 30 milligrams a day. So I'm, I'm adding uh, half of that quantity, which I'm, I'm lacking. So it's not so much. And I do take more. If I would run a marathon, for example, then I would probably double the dose with a double dose DHA that day. So I have the energy throughout the marathon. Amazing. Dr. Herzog, this is so incredibly valuable. Um, you give us a deep dive into everything. And I want to refer everyone listening back to your website, uh, Herzog.eu, which we will link to in the show notes. Um, so much value there and today. So thank you, sir, for uh, being here. Is there anywhere you want to send people other than just to your website? Yes. Um, so we also have a clinic here in, in Brussels where we have a lot of American patients and all over the world. Uh, so you also can get treatment. We also can give uh, internet uh, consultation by Zoom. But then you, if you're in the States, you need to have another doctor in the States that can make the prescriptions. You want to get the medications. 
because we are only allowed to make prescriptions for the whole European Union. We have a 30% off of the best-selling book I have on testosterone, The Therapy for Old Gentlemen. I, I think I can say that this is the book that has the most information and also information. Um, so if you want to do your own uh, prostate examination, it's, um, if you want to know what you can do to decrease prostate hypertrophy, uh, if you can treat, if you can take testosterone and when you have uh, prostate cancer, it's possible. And it shows you the study, the references, and, and what the modalities are. It also shows you how testosterone improves your looks, but also your mood in all aspects. So it's really the most complete book, I think, yeah, with a lot of references. But what is mostly interesting is, is the, the information, uh, how you as a man can and really live your life as a man throughout. And you don't need to be just an, an old man that, <laughs> that has no know anymore on erectile dysfunction. You have all the information erectile dysfunction, not only on testosterone, the mountain and, and all the things like that. So mm. you can make the best choices. So it's really, if there's a book, this is the code, Testo30, and you go on the website, hurtdogmedicalschool.eu. Perfect. And we'll link to that in the show notes at muscleintelligence.com slash podcast. And if you guys are watching on YouTube, Retogmedicalschool.eu. Um, you can head over there and pick this book up. I highly suggest it. As we say, you are you are the number one resource when it comes to everything hormone replacement. Dr. Retog, thank you for being a guest. Thank you, Ben. And do uh, do further with good work. I think you're doing very good work here, enlightening the people to go in the best direction, take good care of themselves. That's something that not enough people do, and they should do it because. How can you make other people happy if you're not happy and not in good health? So make other people happy by making yourself happy. So thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's a wrap, ladies and gents. Thanks for being here. Ben Pekulski, Muscle Intelligence Podcast. There's a lot to download. There's a lot to dissect. If you do feel you got some value out of this, do share this with one person you know and love. Uh, my suggestion is you actually go back one more time and listen to this podcast again because there's so much information. I've actually listened to three times now because there's so much new information, so much valuable information that this podcast is absolutely worth listening to. Again, uh, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you making the time to always support the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Uh, I am truly committed every day of my life to supporting men and women around the world and ultimately children to be the highest and best version of ourselves. If you guys haven't heard, my message and my mission is, is really rooted in reconciling the family unit. I want men to show up as men and women to show up as women, or ultimately show up with the best version of yourself so you can show up with what matters most to you. And I want to ultimately support guys so we can be better leaders in our communities. And gents, I appreciate you. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest 
interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.